Well, good morning. I am excited to be here and to continue to worship as we hear God's word. And give me a second as I get set up here. Um, as we, um, well, as Charlie said, we're still in Matthew chapter 15. So if you could open your Bibles to Matthew 15. And also, as I get started, if you'd like to uh, also stick a finger in Isaiah 66, we're going to get there early on and then we'll let that go. So anyway, Matthew chapter 15. And Matt left us uh, last week right in the middle of an account of conflict between the Pharisees and, some, and between uh, Jesus and some of his enemies, the Pharisees and scribes who came up from Jerusalem. Um, so before we read the scripture, I want to pick up where we left off. So if you recall, um, this account starts where the Pharisees and scribes came up from Jerusalem um, to see what was going on. As Matt said last week, Jesus at this point had become kind of a, kind of a national issue. And these are the, the scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem. This is, this is big time. Um, and so they asked Jesus, or I mean, rather accused Jesus um, of, of um, by uh, asking why did his disciples break the tradition of the elders by not washing their hands. Recall the idea was is that you would you would before you ate you would do this washing that would um, avoid the defilement of getting stuff into you. But it was a thinly veiled accusation against Jesus himself, discrediting him as a good teacher. And so Jesus responds right away with a counter accusation. And he, he says, you guys are hypocrites. You set aside the very word of God and instead substitute in your tradition. For the sake of your tradition, you're, sub, you're, um, you're ignoring uh, the word of God. He exposes their hearts, hearts that are not devoted to the worship of God, but that are sort of inward focused, doing what seems good to them, not necessarily what the law of God actually says. Um, they looked good among themselves, but they weren't as concerned with how they stood before God himself. They honored God with their talk, but their hearts were far away. And so Jesus confronted them publicly because it was a big danger to all the people that were listening. I mean, imagine the scene. When this confrontation happens, I don't imagine that it was kind of in a, in a corner, you know, aside from what's going on, but um, the, the crowds were in awe of Jesus himself. I'm sure the crowds were in awe of these scribes and Pharisees that came up from Jerusalem. It's kind of like watching a debate. The big part of the debate isn't so much to change their minds, but it's, it's to, to present before the crowd what's going on. And so Jesus confronts them because, of course, first of all, by setting their focus on, um, on their traditions, they've lost track of what the Word of God says and what we should really be, be focusing on. Uh, but secondly, and maybe even more dangerous um, than elevating tradition to be equal with the word of God, is that our focus turns to the external things, and if it leaves our heart behind, such that, um, such that um, it's not engaged, we can be also um, accused of or guilty of false, empty worship, doing what looks good, but yet our hearts are far away from God. And so Jesus at this point has seen their accusation, right? He's rebuked them back, and, um, and this is where we're left, right? So this is like the cliffhanger. So the point at this point is, this has happened. What do the people think? So what are the people thinking? What are the disciples thinking? What are, um, you know, what are the Pharisees and scribes thinking? What does it all mean? And so we're back this week to see what uh, does it all mean. And so let me read for you the passage that we have today, which is Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. And so he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And then the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let him alone. 
They're blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it's expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, as we uh, worship, I pray by our hearts, um, would you help us in that? Help us to understand your word. Help us to see you in your word as good and as merciful, as wise. And would you help us to be quick to listen and to trust and obey? Please help us in all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, please um, turn, keep a finger in Matthew 15, but turn over to Isaiah 66, um, because by way of introduction, I want to consider the importance of how we worship God, and especially what is our heart attitude um, in worship. And that's partly because we have some hard teaching today. It's not hard in the sense that it's hard to understand, uh, but it can be hard to accept as we'll see. Different people, as you know, hear the same words out of the Bible and respond differently. Why is that? And it gets to the heart. And so we're only going to look at these first two verses. So if you're in Isaiah 66, let me get over there myself. If you're in Isaiah 66, this is how it begins. Well, well, to set the the scene, the Lord himself is confronting people about, you know, the the possibility of false worship, but really about what is the heart? What do we do when we are worshiping God? So let's hear the first uh, verse and a half. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What's the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. And what he's doing is he's talking to people that would presume to do something for God. As if, in, in this case, it's talking about building, maybe temple building, right? But the idea is, what, what do we do when we worship? Are we providing something for God? Are we fulfilling some need that God has? How are we coming at it? Um, and this is what the Lord says. He says, consider who I am. Heaven is my throne. It's not just my throne is up in heaven somewhere, but heaven. The heaven of the heavens is my throne, this great expanse. I sit on, I control, um, I am Lord over. He says, the earth is my footstool. This, this planet that, that, I mean, no one of us could really explore the whole thing, but yet it's just this speck in the universe. This is the Lord's footstool. It's, it's nothing compared to him. This is who God is. He says to the people who desire to worship him, are you going to build me a house? Are you going to give me a shelter so that I can take a rest after a hard day's work? Think about who I am and about who you are. You're going to build me a house? What are you going to make it out of? Are you going to make it out of the trees that I grew? Are you going to decorate it with the gold that I made? Do you realize who I am is is really what he's saying. God's not looking for people who are going to build him something or put put God in their debt, right? What kind of worshipers does he desire? Who are the people that God seeks after for worship? People have all kinds of ideas. That's what religion around the world is. But what does the Lord himself say here in verse 2? He says this, But this 
is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Right? Who is the one that God desires? The one who's, the one who's humble, the one who knows who God is, the one who knows you know, who he is in light of that. Um, right? Who knows that God is the Holy One, the one who has everything, who made everything, who needs, who needs nothing. And in fact, he's the source of everything that we have, not just what we need to live, but he is the source of the grace and mercy that, that we have that we need to live with, with him. Right? The one who is humble. Who's the one that God desires? The one who's humble and the one who is contrite in spirit. Right? The one who knows that before God, I mean, I'm guilty of dishonoring God. I'm guilty of not being quick to listen and quick to, uh, quick to obey. Um, the one who, um, who, we have these obvious things like, like um, violence or like words that, that come out or theft or things like that, these obvious things. But as you know, God sees the heart as well. So, so the lust, the, um, the hatred, the anger, all of those things, the one who is contrite in spirit is the one who knows he stands before God helpless and guilty. And who's the one that God desires? The one who's humble, the one who's contrite in spirit, the one who trembles at my word. And this is actually what drew me to this. Have you thought about it, what it means to tremble at the word of God? It's one who realizes that like, this is God's word, right? This is the word of God. This is what God says um, to me. It's the one who realizes like, as I read it, as, I, as I'm, I'm being taught, as I'm hearing it preached, as, as the Holy Spirit brings it into mind, this is the word of God. This is who it, um, who it comes from. You know, it's, it's like it's my life. I can't let it go. Even if it hurts sometimes, even if it's painful, right? Even if it puts its finger right on that nerve, right? It's something that I can't really step away from for very long. It's my life. It's, it's you know, man does not live by bread alone, but from the very word um, comes from God. Um, trembling at the word of God is not just knowing that it's God's word, but it comes with God's authority, right? We recognize that it, it, it's this treasure becomes, it comes, because it comes from God, but it brings with it God's authority. Um, if I tremble at God's word, I don't have an attitude, or I do have an attitude of, well, if God says it, I believe it. It must be. If God says it's good, it's good. If God says it's, it's wrong, it's, it's wrong. I'm not going to decide which parts that I like and which parts I don't like. And even the parts that I don't get or don't seem quite right, the question that I ask in my mind is, oh God, I don't get it, but it, it must make sense. Help me understand it. Right? So, this is kind of the attitude of those that tremble, um, tremble at the word of God. These are the kinds of people that the Lord delights to have worship him. These are the worshipers that God is seeking. And, um, and what we're going to see when we get into Matthew here, we can turn back to Matthew 15, is that there are different kinds of people. There are those that tremble at the word of God. There are those that won't have it. And our reaction to what the Lord says, um, you know, means it means everything. So there's four parts. That's all introduction, but there's really four parts that we're going to consider. Um, first is the principle that Jesus um, that Jesus gives to the people. Second is the offense that you heard that um, the Pharisees were offended. Third is an explanation that the Lord gives about what does He mean by this. And then lastly, we're going to discuss the new heart. All right. So first, the principle. So back to Matthew 15. I am back. In verse 10, it says, he called the people to him and said, hear and understand, right? So again, at this point, he's kind of stepping away from the confrontation itself and turning toward the people, and he wants the people um, to listen and understand. Um, after this, um, 
Well, he calls the people to hear and understand, and then he cries out to them in verse 11. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this is what defiles the person. And so this is another one of those sort of pithy sayings of the Lord. He throws it out there, kind of like a parable, and wants the people to hear, and he wants the people to understand. Remember, what provoked this whole discussion was the idea of, do we need to follow the tradition of the elders and ceremonially wash our hands? And he's going to get at the point of, are we defiled by what comes in from the outside? Or is there another source of that defilement? And I guess before we go on, let's just consider, what does it mean, defiled? Right? I mean, we hear that word, and it's one of those words that you get sort of a visceral reaction to, but it, maybe it's hard to put your finger on. Um, it usually has the sense of something that was pure, but maybe it's become uh, corrupted or soiled, something that was useful for a good purpose, but now I'm not going to use it for that anymore. And one of the Bible stories that popped up into my mind when, when I thought of defiled is, remember King Josiah, one of the reasons why he was considered to be a good king is because he made these reforms. As the worship of God was corrupted, he did some of what he could do to, to try to restore that worship. And one of the things that he did, if you recall, there was, this, there, was a, there was an altar where they set up a golden calf hundreds of years prior, right? But there was this altar that, that unauthorized, unholy worship was being done on. And the, and the, way that he, um, the way that he did some religious reform in this area is he burned it, right? But not only that, what he did is he, he broke it down, he dug up some bones from some tombs, he put the bones on the altar, he burned the bones on the altar so that nobody would ever want to worship there again. I mean, you could think you could just brush off the ash and get back to work, but it was defiled. It's no longer fit for worship. It's common. It's, it's, it's not right, right? That's an idea of defilement. Or, I mean, imagine if somebody, you know, took a Bible and burned the Bible, right? It's just paper and cardboard, right? It's just paper, but it's not just paper, right? It's, it represents something. Or, you know, imagine this happens to all of us parents, right? There's a time where, you know, like a three-year-old, a four-year-old, I hope, no, not much older than that, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll scribble on the Bible, on the pages of the Bible, or tear up the pages. You know, again, it's just paper. But what does that do for the Bible? It doesn't change the Bible, right? But there's a sense in which it seems like, well, that's not right. We can't, you know, it doesn't seem really fit for worship in a certain sense anymore. But you know what I'm saying? You get that kind of feeling. And... The idea is this, by being defiled, not fit for worship, not fit for use for what it was intended to do. And so these are the kinds of emotions or thoughts that this, um, that this, um, that this hand-washing would bring up, or by not doing it, right? Would we be defiled now? But Jesus says, enough with this tradition. This doesn't, he, he wants to direct the thoughts away from this tradition that didn't have any real basis in reality and direct them back toward what the truth is. And so, the, again, the question is, um, how are we defiled? Is it by something that comes into us, or is there another source? He says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles the person. And so, like many of his parables at this point, he just leaves it right there, and that's all the crowd hears. And those, he says, those who, who can understand and hear it, hear it. And, um, and like, if you'll recall in Matthew 13, as part of when he's talking about parables, he said, the one, to the one who has, more will be given, he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. He speaks these deep truths, and for those whose hearts are trembling at his word, he gives an understanding. It's not mysterious, really. Um, but to those who are, who are proud and who hate him, right, he, he, uh, he in judgment, he sort of... Uh, will not disclose it. 
And so there's going to be those whose hearts are offended, the truth that's hidden from them, and there are those whose hearts are trembling at his word, who want to hear, who know that he is the only source, and to those it'll be explained. And so that's the principle. And so now the first of the reactions of the people are those whose hearts are offended. Okay? Those whose hearts are offended. So now in verse 12, what happens is the disciples come to him privately. So we're not in the crowd, we're not in front of the Pharisees and scribes, but the disciples come to him. And in verse 12, the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Which is, which is kind of funny. I mean, I guess the disciples are cluing in Jesus, like into the emotional state of the scribes and the Pharisees. Like, do you realize that when you called them hypocrites and vain worshipers, they were offended, right? <laughs> so it's kind, of, it's kind of funny to think about. Um, but I mean, who knows? I mean, obviously, I mean, imagine the scene, right? I'm sure the disciples were quietly watching like with all of the other people. Um, but how would they know? I mean, they would probably see the, the teeth grinding. They might have, as Jesus was kind of giving it to them, they could see like maybe the tension. It's possible they even pulled aside a couple of disciples at one point and said like, you tell your teacher, you know, da, 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 da. You can imagine that happening. And so the disciples are, are coming up to Jesus. And, and I wonder what kind of reaction they were trying to get out of Jesus. Right? They might be trying to tell him, like, you might want to dial it back a bit. These are the guys from Jerusalem. Are these the guys that you really want to make enemies with? Or they were thinking maybe like, well, that escalated very quickly. They asked why we weren't washing our hands, and now you're calling them hypocrites and vain worshipers. Um, are you sure that that's the right, the right tack? I mean, maybe we should have sit down, have a discussion. Maybe they want to guard their teacher's respectability, right? Sometimes these crazy street preachers are very unrespectable. Right? I don't know. Or maybe it's possible. I mean, it could be just concerned, like, how are we going to reach out to the Pharisees if you're kind of, kind of talking like this, right? You catch more flies with honey than vinegar, right? Right? So it's, it's something that I can identify with, right? I mean, I think as a culture, but certainly me as a person, the last thing I want to do is offend people. I don't want to get into contentious debates. I don't like controversy. I don't like confrontation. But have you ever had that feeling? Like maybe you're watching um, like a street preacher. Like sometimes I watch the videos. I don't see them much on the real streets, right? But where there is that confrontation there, and it's a little bit, a little bit tense. It's like, wow, I'm with you. I totally agree, you know? But it's uncomfortable, right? You can sense that sort of offense or the desire for respectability, that kind of thing. So Jesus' response in, chapter, or in verse 13, he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted, that my father has not planted, will be rooted up, let him alone. So what's Jesus' response? Well, it's different probably than like the disciples would have been or mine would have been, um, but but his response is to open up the eyes of the disciples and show them what's going on. In the Bible, there's many times where, um, where the people of God are represented as, as a garden, a field, a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither, right? Um, in fact, this might recall to you the, uh, uh, the parable of the, the wheat and the tares, where you know, the, 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 the sower planted the good seed, the enemy planted the bad seed at night when no one was looking, and they both grew up together. And what was Jesus' message there? It was, let him alone. Let him alone for now. Justice, judgment, will happen at the right time. Again, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let him alone. And I think when we see this judgment of God, and I think it's kind of a frightening or it's haunting um, that people would be left to themselves. But do you realize the judgment of God is not just something like way out there sometime and it's going to be really bad for a lot of people, right? 
The judgment of God happens all the time, every day, against rebel hearts. And one of these terrifying kinds of judgment, like, like Jesus said before, what, even what people, when they don't have it, it will be taken away. You know what this means is that God will let people go. If someone is stubborn in his unbelief, um, God will let them go. And that's what he's saying, let them alone. Um, you know, it reminds me of Romans chapter 1. You know, starting in verse 18, Paul is talking about the wrath of God is being revealed against people. And let me just read a little bit of it and hear what is this judgment of God? It says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Right? People are suppressing the truth. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. What was the judgment of God? Even now he gave them up to, to their, their own lusts. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, because they turned away from God, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then one more, a little bit later it says, since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. I mean, do you see this? I mean, it's, it's really, it's a terrifying thing. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. So Jesus said, let them alone. He goes on to say, they're blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into, both will fall into a pit, right? And so he's saying, let them alone. And so I just want to offer three things when he says, let them alone, three things to consider, you know, what that means for the disciples. What does that mean for us, right? I mean, it does sound a little bit harsh. I mean, don't the Pharisees need the gospel too? Do we really want to let them alone? So three things. I mean, one, when Jesus says, let them alone, um, it's as if to say, if they're not going to hear, if they have hearts that are just stubbornly refusing to turn and listen, there's nothing that you can do to convince them. Their hearts are set against the Lord. They're offended. They're more concerned about their offense, their pride than anything else. Um, they're plants that are not planted by our Heavenly Father. Don't spend your time there. Don't keep banging your head against the wall. Don't th cast your uh, pearls before swine. Right? So one reason is it's just don't use your time for that. Let them alone. One is if, if they're offended by you, what's that to you? And this is a point where I know I need to be careful. Who do I fear? Who do you fear? Do you fear offending other people? I know I do sometimes, right? When there's, if, if I'm going to talk about the things of God, I mean, it's bad enough. Well, I'm gonna, not going to go off script. It's bad. <laughs> the, um, con consider how you fear such offense. I mean, do you, do, do you, are you afraid to talk about what's really true? Like, even a statement like this, hearts are not good. The little baby is not the innocent baby, you know, kind of thing. Don't let, you know, don't let the children lead them or <laughs> whatever. I, again, I, I'm gonna, I, can't, I can't go where I want to go. <laughs> Seriously, we may look foolish now to the world, like for the things that we believe, right? But we have the truth. Um, it occurred to me, I could rephrase Matthew 10, 28. This will sound familiar to you. Do not fear to offend those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear to offend him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, right? The point being, like, leave them alone. Don't fear their offense, right? Know that Jesus is Lord. Know that God's word is true, and we can stand on it. Don't fear that. But lastly, what he gets to in verse uh, uh, 14 here, leave them alone. They're blind guides. Maybe one of the more dangerous things is that if we don't leave them alone, like the last thing we want to do is start to follow them. These are respectable religious teachers. 
we need to be discerning about who we follow. Do we follow people who are teaching the word of God what it says, or are we following someone else who has his own ideas and so on? He says, these are blind guides. These are people who are following their own traditions, their own ways of doing things. If, if, if somebody were to follow such a blind guide, where's that blind guide gonna end up? In the pit. Where is the follower of the blind guide gonna end up? In the pit, right? It's, it's dangerous, right? It's deceiving. Um, and so they're told to let them, let them alone. And so, so we see this rejecting rebellious Pharisees and scribes, uh, these men who purport to serve God and, you know, and be the caretakers of the religion, um, but they're blind before Jesus. They're blind before God. They're blind. They're deaf to hearing what uh, he has to say. They do not tremble at his word. Their hearts are far away. Um, and so this is the judgment on those who are offended by Jesus. And next, the explanation, and bear with me a second. Somehow my clock went off, and I got to make sure. So the explanation. So now in verse 15, but Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. So again, this sounds kind of like a, like a parable, right? It's this short statement. And Peter, not offended by anything that's happened so far, again, humbly goes to the Lord and says, I don't get it. Help us to understand, right? That's the heart of the one who trembles at the word of God. And Jesus responds in verse 16, are you also still without understanding? It's almost like, you know, the Pharisees get it. They ought to be offended. But I think it's, I find it actually interesting and encouraging that Jesus is, this is one of these many cases where Jesus kind of mildly rebukes his disciples. Like, you should know this. You should know this by now. Philip, have I been so long with you that you don't even know who I am, right? And these rebukes are, I mean, are really kind of justified. Um, you know, I look at myself. I find this encouraging because even though the Lord does, has these gentle rebukes, um, and, it's, and when he does that, he rebukes me as well. I find it encouraging, but I've been in Christ for almost 25 years, and I keep asking the same questions, or I'll sit and I'll listen to a sermon, or somebody will ask me a question or something, and I'll think, oh, I've got to go look that up. I've got to figure that out. This isn't that hard. I've got to write this down. I've got to remember. And I never get around to it. I'm going to read through the Bible in a, you know, such and such, or I'm going to memorize this because I need to memorize these words, and, and I never get to it. But there's all these things that I really have these good intentions, right? My heart longs to just understand the Word of God. And for whatever reason, I don't always follow through, right? And, it's, and Jesus says to Peter, do you still not get it? And it's a little bit of a rebuke. I mean, we need to be continually reminded to take the time and take the energy and dive into these things, not just so that we can answer all the questions, but because there is, it's like digging for gold and coming up with this treasure that you can chew on. And I'm mixing a lot of metaphors, right? But you know what I mean. Um, it, 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 it's, it's very much worth it. So, um, but the point is, is even, even at this, Peter's not offended. The disciples never get offended by this. It's like, you know, I'm just going to keep asking because you have the words of eternal life. So, in verse 17, Jesus explains. Verse 17, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it's expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. Right, so now he's, he's getting a little bit more into it and he'll say more. But of course, like what he's saying first is consider what, what you're doing when you're eating. You're taking food in. Um, some of it's nourishing, you get stronger, bigger, make more cells, um, whatever. Some of it passes through, 
but whatever happens, it goes in, it feeds your body, it comes out. The food is not what defiles a person. What comes into you from the outside is not what causes the corruption on the inside. That's the kind of obvious point that Jesus is, is pushing through. But here's the point where he pushes a little bit harder and kind of puts his finger on, on the nerve. This is what these laws that have to do with holiness and unholiness and cleanliness and uncleanliness have really got, us, got to get us to kind of think through. Um, and so what he says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This is what defiles the person. So first of all, it says, well, what, well, what does come out of the mouth? Right? It says, whatever comes out of the mouth, it comes from the heart and it defiles a person. So what comes out of the mouth? Words come out of the mouth, right? So that's a, that's a good thing by itself. You could do a whole study on like, how God hates slander, backbiting, false witness, like all of these things that our words do to, um, to uh, well, just participate in evil. Um, but it's more than that, of course, when Jesus says what comes out of the mouth. He's really saying what comes out of the man, which is what it says in Mark. What's what, it's not what comes into you from the outside that defiles a person. It's what comes out. And so what does come out? Right? It's not just our words, but it's like all of these thoughts that we have, like evil thoughts that we have. It's the words that come out. And of course, it's the actions themselves that, that so it's this sin itself that defiles um, the person. And here's the big point um, is that, as Charlie said earlier, it's what is in the heart is the Bible describes it as a spring in various places. Um, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence for from it will flow um, the springs of life. Right? Picture, like, what is a spring? I don't know if I've actually seen a spring, right? but I've heard about them. Right? But the spring is like just coming out of, the, out of the ground is more and more water. Right? You can't really stop it. Right? It's kind of like when you put your hand over the end of the hose, and you can only stop it so long. It's going to kind of come out. And it's, it's a little bit like, I mean, a, like a corrupt spring, which our heart might be compared to, is a little bit like a... Um, you know, like a, like a disease or a skin problem or something like that. You can put makeup on it, right? You can try to clean it up a little bit, but the, the, but the disease, the spring is going to keep pushing out. You, you can only hold it down so long, and then it will come out. Our hearts are characterized as the springs of life. Out of our heart is what comes out everything that we are. It includes our thoughts. It includes our words. It includes um, these actions. So here's the point. It's not what comes from the outside. It's not like a river where like over time, more and more like, I don't know, towns are dumping their pollution in the river and so you've got this muddy river at the bottom. No, it's a spring, right? And just like a pure spring gives pure water and it can't be held back. I mean, that is the source. That's where it comes from. And so Jesus makes it even more clear um, what he's talking about in verse 19. He says, for out of that heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, <clears throat> theft, false witness, and slander. So he lists off a number of things that we could go into, right? And we probably don't have the time to look at each one, but consider each one of these things, how they apply to us. I mean, especially evil thoughts. It, it contains so much of, of, of what goes on in our own minds. I mean, how many times during a day, during a week, do you have a conversation with yourself about somebody? Well, I guess he's doing that because of this, and I bet he's doing that because of that. And if I were to talk to him, this is what I would say. And, oh, I wish I would have said this yesterday when I was talking to him because that would have been the zinger, right? We have these, these conversations to ourselves, right, that are these evil thoughts, right? Because, you know, it says love bears all things and hopes all things and believes all things, right? Right, that is the charitable heart. That is a pure heart. That's, I mean, that is the, the heart of the Lord is that that would charitably, you know, not impute to other people bad stuff, but our evil thoughts do that. That's one of these things that wells out of our hearts, and again, time doesn't allow me to go into murder or adultery, right? Both of which are, it's, I mean, these are horrible sins, but it's not 
Well, first of all, something like murder doesn't just happen, right? It first starts with the jealousy. It starts with the anger. I mean, think about Cain when his sacrifice was rejected, right? He was sulking, right? He was angry. He was jealous. And even after being warned by the Lord, he rose up and killed his brother. It didn't come from nowhere. It didn't come from outside. It wasn't God's fault, right? But it welled up from within him out of that evil heart, and it erupted in murder. And murder, adultery, these things are not just the acts, but they're the thoughts. They're, they're these evil thoughts that sort of percolate and come out in that. Sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. The list could go on, but these evil desires, lack of gratitude, um, and, and so on. This is what defiles a person. Can you identify with what I'm saying? Do you know what that's like? These are, and so verse 20, Jesus um, summarizes by saying, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, it doesn't defile anyone. So what, what is it within me that causes sin? What is it within me that, that causes me to be unclean, impure, really unfit to worship God? I mean, it's not contamination by the yucky Gentiles at the marketplace or that sort of thing. People that are outside the covenant of Israel. Um, we all come from this same lump of, lump of clay. Um, the truth is, um, like all of these laws that God had given, because there were really laws that sounded kind of like the hand-washing thing, right? Eat this, don't eat that, you know, when, or, or um, don't touch that, because if you touch that, you're not fit to worship for a while. Or if this happens to you, or if, you're un, if your skin has problems in this particular way, you're not clean for a while, don't touch somebody who is. Those are real laws from the Word of God that really do mean something. Um, but what do they mean, Right? This was very helpful for me. I heard someone say, um, these all are these physical pictures of impurity or imperfection. They kept a person away from the physical worship of God, right? So when a leper was told, stay back, right? He was not allowed to go into the tabernacle, to go into the temple to worship with the people of God, right? He couldn't physically come close to God in that sense. But what these things really teach us is that the impurity of the heart or spirit that impurity of my heart is what keeps a person away from the true spiritual worship of God. So this distancing, this imperfection distancing from the physical temple, um, is it, it shows there's this distance, because we can see the physical. But what we have to understand, what it's pointing to, is that this distance, this impurity in my heart, is what keeps me away from the true spiritual worship of God. So this distinction between holy and unholy is important. Um, but it's not meant to mean that we get to be closer to God and they get to be farther away from God, right? It's meant to help us to understand that our heart is such an important thing. It's not what comes from outside. It's not the culture we live in. Um, it's not the parents we have. It's not people in our family. It's not the kids at school. Um, those things might tempt us. They do lead our hearts astray because our hearts sometimes want it. But that's not where the corruption comes from. The truth is we're all made from the same lump of clay. Um, and so Jesus leaves the people with this. It's this hard truth. There is a defilement that people fear, this unapproachability to God. I can't get close to God because of something. Maybe if I wash my hands the right way, that'll take care of it. But the hard truth is, it's stuck so deep down inside, I don't have the power. I can't fix it. Ritual can't fix it. Traditions can't fix it. Rules, lists of do's and don'ts can't fix it. Each person stands before God, unholy and unfit to worship him. 
unless, and that brings us to the new heart, right? That's where Jesus leaves it, right? But I can't quite leave it there. And so I just want to conclude with this last point about a new heart, right? This, so the idea is if the heart is corrupt, worse than that, if I can't really get at it myself, that's the worst part about it, you know, then I need to rely on the one who can do things that are impossible for a man, which is God himself, right? What this should lead us to do is to cry out to God, like, I can't do this, God. If you won't do it, it won't be done. Uh, David recognized this. He had like serious physical sin, adultery, murder. And what did he cry out to God? He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, right? Yes, he needed forgiveness, but he needed more than forgiveness if he was going to be fit to worship God. He needed a new heart, a clean heart, a right spirit within him. And what David cried out for, God promised through the prophet Ezekiel. And what Charlie read there in Ezekiel 36 um, is something that we as Christians can identify with. Let me just read the, the key part. He says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean from all your uncleanness. Who else can do that but God? And your, from your idols, I'll cleanse you. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Right? He's going to give me a new heart, a new spirit that can properly worship God, be fit to worship God. And then he even says, well, he says, I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So I went through that kind of quick, but, but it's very exciting. That same thing that, that David was longing for, Ezekiel promised. And that same thing that Ezekiel promised, Jesus delivers. And, um, and of course, this reminds us of when Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3. And Jesus, Jesus says to him, Nicodemus is one of these Pharisees, but... He's not offended. He comes up to Jesus and he asks. Well, he doesn't even ask. <laughs> Jesus knows what his heart. But listen, he says, Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Does it sound familiar? Later he says, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, water and spirit, is that not what Ezekiel's talking about? Is that not what David's talking about? Water and spirit, he can't see the kingdom of God without that. It's what we long for. And in John chapter 7, in verse 37, I just can't resist this last one, which is, you know, there's a feast. All the Jews from all over are, are gathered in the temple. And it could be even like at the pinnacle of this celebration. You know, everybody's waiting. And there's a time where it says, on the last day of the feast, on the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I mean, it's an extraordinary promise, right? If anyone's thirsty, you've heard this language before. Jesus says, anyone, come to me. If you're weary, right, and weary of heart, come to me. If anyone's thirsty, come to me. Um, and he, will, he, will, he is the only source of spiritual life. In Isaiah, you've heard this before, Isaiah 55, 1, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has money, come. Who does not have money, come. Buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without price. It's this free offer. This is what we need. We need food. We need drink. We need, we need new hearts. And the one thing that we can't do is what God graciously offers. He cries out. Jesus is crying out to the whole world around him, come uh, to me. Um, and so this is one of those things. Do you tremble at his word? This is the kind of things that are like our meat and our drink, is it not? Jesus calls all of those who are humble, who are contrite of spirit, those of us who, um, who, who um, tremble at his word, to come to him. Because it's through Jesus that God replaces these corrupt hearts, gives us these pure hearts. And it's something that we need and only he can do. Out of, his, out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. Jesus died to take away our sin. He rose to give us life. 
1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? It's an amazing promise. He does go on to say in verse 10, if we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word isn't in us. And so this is the call that Jesus makes. Come and understand, or hear and understand. Come to me, you who thirst. Come to God humble. Come to God contrite in spirit. Come trembling in his word, and you'll find forgiveness and a new heart. And so just, um, just to conclude with a couple of thoughts, consider where is your heart today, right? We've seen three kinds of hearts. We've seen offended hearts, which are really frightening, right? Is your heart offended when the Bible puts its finger on that nerve? when that sword of the spirit sort of pierces right between soul and spirit. Are you offended? Or, and maybe some of us are, briefly, or do we quickly say, Lord, explain it to me? An offended heart is a heart that will be judged, and the judgment, the terrifying part of the judgment is that what light we have would be taken away. So if you are offended, I mean, repent. I mean, turn back to God and confess that and long to understand. The second kind of heart is a defiled heart. Our sin comes from within us. I think we know that, right? We all, we all know that, right? But truly, it comes from within us. We all have our own purity laws, right? Thou shalt not watch an R-rated movie. Thou shalt wear a one-piece bathing suit. Um, I don't know, don't spend time with that friend, right? And these are, we have, to, we have to protect our kids. We have to be proper. I mean, there are reasons for these things. But those things are not the things that corrupt us, right? The, um, the movie that we shouldn't be watching because it's garbage or, or sensual or whatever it is, it's the problem is our heart is drawn to it. The swimsuit that's revealing is because our, our heart is drawn to wanting to be noticed, whatever, right? But the idea is it is out of the heart um, that these things come, and so we have to deal with these things as our heart, and the Lord, our God, is able to deal with our hearts. If you have a defiled heart and you have not yet been forgiven of that, or you've not been given a new heart, you know, Jesus says, hear and understand, and come to him. And finally, the third kind of heart is a new heart, right? This is, this is, this is, this should be really encouraging, right? That God gives us new hearts. And if you are no longer offended by what the word of God says, right? If your natural inclination says, yes, God, I don't get it, but yes, that's true, right? You should be very encouraged because only a new heart does that. You should be encouraged at looking at yourself over time, right? Or maybe people around you can see it, right? out of the overflow of your heart starts to come good things and not the, not the filth. We struggle. I wish I was totally pure now, right? I'm, I'm far from it, right? But we should be encouraged. There are signs of a new heart. And so as we close, I do want, I mean, my goal was to be encouraging, right? I do want you to be encouraged because some of this can feel heavy, but the goal is to put the finger on the problem and then heal it. And that's what God does. We see a kind God who forgives sin he not only gives us new hearts, uh, but these hearts grow in desire to worship him. So if you have any questions about these things, um, the prayer room back there will be open. Find anyone here just to talk about it. And so let me pray, and we'll move on. Father, what a treasure we have in your word here. I praise you for your wisdom of writing it over 1,500 years. I mean, all of these things, time after time, it's, it's so consistent, it's so perfect, it's so wise, it's so good, but it is hard to understand sometimes. So, Father, I, I would pray that for each of us, our hearts would just, would just be opened up, would just be excited to get into your word, to understand your word, um, and just be consistent. And I pray, Father, like I did at the beginning, that 
help us to not be offended, but to help us to be quick to hear, quick to listen, diligent to understand, and ready to trust and obey. So please help us in all that in Jesus' name. Amen.